Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First Methodist, visit us online at firstopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at First Opelika. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love for you to join us. Scripture reading this morning uh, comes from Psalm 23. As we have been working our way through this text, uh, we have been working line by line through it. Uh, This morning, like the other mornings of this series, we'll read all of Psalm 23 together, but this morning we'll focus on the penultimate verse, uh, verse 5. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 23. If you don't have your Bible with you, I invite you to grab one off the hymnal shelf or to use your phone to have a copy of the scriptures in front of you. Not of reverence for the Lord and for his word, I invite you to stand with me as we listen now together for the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so thankful to you that you have said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are thankful for the ease with which you walked upon this earth, the generosity and kindness you showed to people, the devotion with which you cared for those who were out of the way and in trouble, the extent to which you even loved your enemies and laid down your life for them. We are so thankful, Lord, to believe that this is a life for us, a life without lack, a life of sufficiency. It is so clear in you, the sufficiency of your Father and the fullness of life that was poured through you, and we're so thankful that you have promised that same love, that same life, that same joy, that same power for us. Lord, slip up on us today. Get past our defenses, our worries, our concerns. Gently open our souls and speak your word into them. We believe you want to do it, and we wait for you to do it now. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Every church that I have served, I have been met by a countless number of people who have gone uh, out of their way to welcome me and to help me feel at home. 
But there was one church I served early in my ministry that when I went there, one particular family went above and beyond. Uh, That it seemed that that first summer that I lived in that community, uh, that there was not an event that was going on, that this particular family didn't invite me to come and be a part of it. Whether it was a group of people going to share a meal after church on Sunday, several families gathering together at the river, whatever it was, anytime something was happening that first summer that I was in town, uh, they did everything they could to include me. It was wonderful. It helped me get to know the community better than I I probably would after lots of time there. It helped me get to know people in the church in incredible ways, uh, and I really came to love and value that family in great ways too. As the summer wound to a close and we were moving in, into back-to-school season, I assumed uh, that these special events and invitations would cease. Uh, This family had numerous kids in middle school and in high school. They were busy with all kind of things. And so I just assumed that now that the summer was over, uh, that I would go back to kind of the average normal life that I was used to. While the special events did stop, the invitations did not. Uh, I'll never forget one of those first fall afternoons of the school year that I was in my office when the wife of the family, Tracy, was uh, in the office and she stuck her head in my office and she was leaving and as cheerfully as could be, she said, I'm cooking dinner tonight, would you like to come over? Uh, I think I had a conflict or something and so I politely thanked her and said, that's awfully kind of you but I I can't come tonight Uh, and I let it go at that. I thought that maybe it would stop after that but it didn't. Over and over and over again, Tracy would continue to stick her head in my office and invite me to come over and eat, whether they were ordering pizza or cooking a meal, whatever it was, they repeatedly invited me to come to their table. I really struggled with going. Uh, To tell you the truth, I kind of felt like that I was imposing, that they didn't really want me. Uh, I didn't have anything that I could offer to them. I couldn't pay them back. I was young and single, and uh, I couldn't even take, you know, contributions to the meal very well. And, And it was a struggle as I thought about going that I was like, you know, I just really feel like all I can do is show up and I'm gonna be a burden to them. And so I continued to tell myself these stories and I got really good at every time I would get invited at telling her thanks but I can't come you know I don't want to impose and I would say things over and over again trying to avoid this invitation that she was offering to me I'll never forget the day that Tracy called me on my recurring act of declining their invitation as I said no thanks one more time she started to turn and leave my office and I can see her standing in the door right there she turned around she said Nolan I'm not nice enough to invite you to come over to dinner if I don't want you to be there. She said, I don't know anyone who's so nice that they would invite someone that they didn't want to spend time with to come and eat a meal at their table. And she said, and even if that is what I'm doing, and I'm not, then that's on me. Come and eat at our table. She shook me out of my complacency and out of my imposing, and so I said yes. That night, I went to eat dinner at their house, and it changed my life. A table invitation, receiving the hospitality that someone wants to give, can make the biggest difference in your life. When we come to verse 5 of Psalm 23, David shifts to talking about an invitation that God gives to his table. 
He shifts about to talking about receiving the hospitality that God longs to give to each of us. And he casts that invitation out to all of us, hoping that we might accept the invitation, that we might come to the table and receive what it is that he wants to give. In verse 5 of Psalm 23, David shifts the language that he writes with. For the first four verses of the psalm, he's been using that shepherd language that he would have known all through his growing up years and through working in the family business. But when he gets to verse 5, he shifts to using the banquet room language. This is language that he may have come to know in his life as a king, that he would have been familiar with what it meant to host large banquets and to have lots of people come and sit around a table. He uses this language to begin to unpack what it is that God is offering and how God is moving and working and what it is that he wants us to know. This language of inviting someone to the table in that day and age would have been one of the most incredible acts of welcome and assurance that you could get. In the world that they lived in, inviting someone to the table meant that you were really offering them a place in your house, that there for a little while it may have meant that they were coming and staying with you for a protracted season, it may have meant that you were offering them access to everything that you had. Uh, It would have been an incredible act of hospitality to have someone come to your table in that day and age. And what David says is that uh, he recognizes this uh, act of God is inviting them to the table. Uh, There would have been no greater sense of welcome, no greater sense of assurance, and no greater sense of safety. Uh, When someone came to the table, much like what I experienced uh, in that appointment that I served, uh, it was an inclusion in the family. It was a welcoming to all that was there. It was being given access to the resources of the household. And in that day and age particular, he picks up a theme that would have been present earlier in the psalm as well to make sure that we understand that part of what is being offered in this place when we are welcomed at the table is deep safety. That for someone who was the king, someone who had massive banquet tables, someone who had a massive house, that not only was he offering the resources and gifts of his household, that he was providing everything that he could, that he was meeting every single need, that he was providing for what the people may have wanted, but there for a little while they were considered to be inside the family. And so all the resources of protection, the armies and the, uh, the, the security forces that would have been available to the king were now ready and deployed for those who were seated at the table with the king. There would not have been a greater sense of welcome or assurance or gift that could be given in that day and age than welcoming someone to the table. But it isn't enough for David Uh, Just to say that as he reflects back on his story with God, that what he sees God having done in his life is just welcome him to the table. He wants to emphasize it. He wants to underscore it. He wants to make sure we recognize just how great it really is. And and so as he's uh, working his way through this, he, he goes beyond and says, not only do you welcome me to your table, that you prepare a feast before me, he says, you anoint my head with oil. 
If there's welcoming to the table in one camp, there's anointing your head with oil in another. This is like cutting no corners. This is sparing no expense. This is, it's one thing to have someone over to say, we're going to order some pizza and sit around while we watch TV together and have a meal. It's a completely another thing. When you say, we're going to have you over to cook my grandmother's favorite recipe that takes two days to prepare, then we're going to get her china out. We're going to set the table and we've got a little gift to give you before you leave. It is sparing no expense. It is lavish and generous. The act of anointing someone with oil in that day and age would have been one of the most refreshing things that could have been given. It would have been reserved for dignitaries and those who were the the, the upper level of society. uh, The the, the very highest status people would have been the ones who expected to get their heads anointed with oil over and over and over again. And what David says as he thinks about God, as he thinks about how God works in his life, is he said, it isn't just that he welcomes me to his table. It isn't just that he provides for me. It isn't just that he gives me the very best and offers me this place of security. It's that he goes to the extravagant abundant. That he doesn't hold anything back. That he takes the oil and he pours it over my head. Lavish generosity. Beyond even what I can compare, beyond even what I might do to the favorite people in my own life, God spares no expense in the way that he welcomed him to the table. It's interesting to think about David writing this, and sometimes it's easy to forget about who David really is. We hear all this language of the banquet room and we think about David's proximity to banquets and lots of people coming to the table and what it would have meant to welcome people. And it's easy to think that David was some kind of elite, uh, that he was some wealthy person, that he's living in a different world and the way he would have encountered the banquet table or the way he would have encountered God's hospitality might have been different than just the average person in the community. Uh, But it's important for us to stop and remember just exactly who David is. Uh, that David's life was not a life of elite. Uh, That David had had ups and downs that were greater than the ups and downs many of us have ever walked through. David grew up in a home and a life that was probably fractured at best. His dad pretty much told him that he didn't think he would ever amount to anything. He was the youngest of seven children and he was ostracized and estranged from almost everyone in his family. When he was finally anointed to be king, it didn't lead to an an incredible life of ease that all of a sudden he was now on easy street just waiting for his day to come. He ran for his life for almost a decade or more uh, as he eagerly wondered, had God really meant what he said and would this ever come to fruition? Over and over again, he was escaping for his own life. He dealt with literal enemies that wanted to kill him every single day. And even once he became king, his life did not somehow just become easy. That everything was perfect. There were great wins while he was king, but there were also colossal failures. David had these great ups and these incredible downs. He failed miserably as king. All I have to do is read 2 Samuel to see that he shirked his responsibilities for what it was that the king was supposed to do. He had an adulterous affair with a woman in the community, and then he had her husband murdered to try and cover it up. This is the kind of stuff of Dateline or a podcast that we would all eagerly want to know more about. But this was David's life. And this is the life that David looks at, that even in the midst of these ups and downs, even in the midst of the hardships and struggles, 
that he looks back on his life and that he sees in his story that God has continually prepared a table before him. That's why he uses the word enemies. He may have been thinking like a king and thinking of the battles that he's fought, but my hunch is that when David really stopped to think about his life, that the enemies that he was thinking about were far more than just the country next door that they were opposing. That the enemies of his life were the stories and lies that he had been told. That they were the struggles and the opposition that he had found even in his own family. That they were the ups and the downs and the things he had done to himself and the struggles and decisions that he had made that led him down paths that looking back he wished he could have avoided. And even in spite of his best efforts to do it right and all the places where he did it wrong, the thing that he sees in the rearview mirror more than anything else is that God's blessing and abundance was continually made available to him. That despite his circumstances, that no matter what he did, that no matter where he was, that if he would stop and receive it, that God longed to give him blessing greater than anything he could imagine. This isn't just David reciting this. This doesn't go back to third person where all of a sudden David says, let me tell you about God at a distance. We see David call this out to God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Caught up in this language is a man's heart who is overflowing with the journey of a real life that has been lived and yet he is so abundantly clear. That despite his circumstances, that despite the choices he's made, despite where he's been, despite the hardships that he's walked, that God's blessing and his provision have been abundant no matter what. This is an incredible piece for you and me. That if we want to know and live this with God life, that if we want to take Psalm 23 and not let, let it just be a good sentiment that might be engraved on our tombstone someday, but a reality that will be engraved on our hearts, then this line, this penultimate line, is the most incredible line because it conveys God's love for you and me in a way even greater than what we saw last week. Because what it says is that no matter where you are, No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, my blessings and abundance pursues you. That I will meet you, that I will meet you in the midst of whatever you're facing. It doesn't say that the enemies will go away. But we will come to the table where we receive security and blessing and assurance. That no matter what the world outside might do, no matter how the world out there might rage on, that God says, you can come to me. And I will bless you. We love to blame things on God. We love to say that if God would just do different, then everything would be okay. We love to look at all the things that aren't working the way we wish they were. We love to talk about how this isn't good enough, or if they would just do this, or if they would just act like that, or if I could just get this, or if I could do this. And what we see in Psalm 23, 5 is that while there might be struggles in the world around us, that God's blessing and His abundance is not absent. 
That while we may, may face hardships, that while we may endure seasons that are difficult, that while we may have enemies that rage at us from all sides, that God's blessing and His provision does not stop. Not only does He just drip it in occasionally, is that what we see in Psalm 23 is that He pours it out, that our cup overflows. That despite our circumstances, despite what we walk through, despite the the hardest things we may face, is that God is pouring out His provision and His blessing in our lives. God is pursuing you. God desires you. God longs to give you the very best. And yet we continue on Assuming that God has to work like a genie in a bottle, doing exactly what we want, exactly the way we think, exactly how we order Him to work. We find ourselves frustrated and checked out from Him because He doesn't work on our terms the way we want Him to. And then we end up missing all that He's giving, even as the enemies are right outside our door. God looks at us and he says, the world out there rages on, but you just make it more busy. It rages on, but you just jump right into it. What would it look like to come to me? What would it look like to receive the blessing that I want to give? What what would it look like to take a break? All those places through Scripture where you see Jesus pull Himself away with the Father. The places where it says to get alone with Him. The places where we see people encountering the Lord. What would it look like if that was your life too? That rather than being consumed by all the things that are wrong, all the problems in the world, all the struggles that we face. What would it look like to come to Him and recognize that your cup overflows? What would it look like to receive the hospitality and the gift that he gives of being included in his family and having the full resources of the family poured out on you around his table? If we want to know the with God life, if we want to live in the life of sufficiency, if we want to trust the all-sufficient shepherd, it will start by receiving the hospitality and invitation that he gives. Because even though the world around us rages on, even though the enemies come from without and within, God provides blessings that are abundant and more than we could imagine. I went to dinner at that family's house that night, and it did change my life. It ended up leading to lots more dinner invitations, and over the next few years, I bet I ate 60, 80, 100 meals at their table. It developed into a closeness with that family that was so close that when Susanna and I got married about a year later, three of their five children were in our wedding. As I look back in the rearview mirror now, I've officiated the weddings of four of their children. The fifth one was already married when I met them. They became some of the dearest people that we've walked through life with. And my only regret is that I hadn't blown off so many invitations. That I didn't get to start sooner. That I didn't get to wade into the depth of the blessing and abundance that they wanted to give me by coming to their table. God looks at you and in just a moment we're going to come to this table. And he says, 
I want to welcome you to my table. In the presence of the enemies that you're facing, I prepare a table before you. I anoint your head with oil. Your cup overflows. Will you accept his invitation? Will you come to the table? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Pray with me, please. Good Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your love. We thank you that you invite us to a life of abundance, no matter the circumstances around us. And Lord, we confess that we have been quick to ignore it, that we have been quick to just look at all the things that are wrong and to miss the gifts that you so readily give. Lord, open our eyes, even as we come to this table right now, that we might receive all that you want to do, that we might receive the gifts that you want to give, that we might receive your abundance and your pleasure and your goodness. Meet us at this table. Pour out your spirit on this altar rail. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.